Well, if you have a Bible, either a printed copy or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Last week we began our series on the family and we began our series with some foundational truths that God teaches us in the very first chapter of the Bible on the family. We began with the very first verse in the Bible where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And and we said from that that if God created everything, then God gets to define everything. God gets to determine how everything is supposed to work. What that means is you don't determine truth. You don't define truth. God does. And we have to settle that at the very beginning. You don't determine truth. God does. The second thing, the second truth we determined is that when God created mankind, when he created human beings, he created two genders. He created male and he created female. And that addresses the transgender movement of the day, the whole idea that there is this gender fluidity. And that speaks to what God says about that issue. And then the third truth that we discovered that last week is that when God established marriage, he established marriage for a man and a woman. And that addresses the issue of gay marriage. But today what I want us to look at is what God says about marriage. Because if God is the one who determined marriage, if God is the one who defied marriage, then God is the one who really establishes what a good marriage is and how you and I can have a good marriage. Now the truth of the matter is, there may be some of you here this morning who are not in a good place when it comes to your marriage. But what I would say to you is, there is hope. Jimmy Evans said it this way. He said, every bad marriage and subsequent divorce could be eliminated and replaced with a solid, satisfying relationship if only each couple would follow God's plan for marriage. And I believe that that is 100% true. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy but what it does mean is if you are willing to follow God's plan during both the good and the bad times you will find what you're looking for the picture to my left is a picture that was taken goodness gracious 40 years ago on April the 6th of this year that was the day that Sherry and I got married she was beautiful wasn't she me, not so much. But that was a great, great day, the day I married the love of my life. The picture right there was from 2017, the day that our youngest son got married. That was at the reception after they got married. And that was a happy day, but it was also a sad day because it was the day after our middle son had passed away suddenly. You, you see, marriage is filled with good times and 
baptized. Marriage is filled with happiness and it's filled with sadness. Marriage is going to have times where you are extremely grateful. There's going to be other times that you are extremely disappointed. But I'm here to tell you that if you will stick with it, you will find what you're looking for. Like I said, this August, Sharon and I will have been married 40 years. And there have been some tough times. I can assure you that there have been times that I have driven my wife nuts. And there's probably some times that she has driven me nuts. Well, there have been some times. But I can honestly say to you that I love her more today than I ever have. And I so look forward to what God has in the future. And so with that said, what I want us to do is just take a few moments and look at God's Word in Genesis chapter 2 and discover what God says about, about marriage by looking at the very first marriage. And so if your Bible is open to chapter 2, follow along as we begin in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of one of the man's ribs or took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man explained, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the Bible tells us that God created man and placed him in this beautiful garden paradise called Eden. But even in the midst of this beauty, even in the midst of this perfection, there was something missing. The Bible says that man was alone, and, and I believe that man was lonely. And listen, aloneness is not a good thing. God did not create us to live alone. Now, I know that, that some of you in this room today are single. Some of you are single because of the death of a spouse. Some of you are single because of a divorce. Some of you are single because you've never been married. Statistics reveal that 50% of the adult population in America are single. But with that said, you need to understand that God did not intend for us to do life alone. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Now, there are two primary reasons for marriage. The first is children. The second is companionship. God wants us to have kids, and God wants us to raise those kids to honor him, to bring glory to him. But God also wants us to live in relationship, to have companionship with other people. So notice what God says next. Since man was alone, God said, I'm going to make a helper suitable, a helper just right for him. Now, don't miss that. God created Eve to be a helper that was just right for Adam. 
Eve didn't come off of an assembly line. She was handmade by God just for Adam. And I think with all my heart that if you are called to be married, God has someone just right, perfectly made for you as well. Now, before some of you ladies get riled up because I said that Eve was made to be a helpmate for Adam, let me just tell you something about that word. That word is used 15 times in the Old Testament. And 11 times it's used to describe God. And so God is using a word to describe that first woman, Eve, that he used 11 times to describe himself. God is our helpmate. That word literally describes someone who supplies something that would otherwise be lacking. A good definition of the word is completer. So Eve was created by God for Adam to complete him. But listen, that doesn't mean that we go around looking for that spouse who was perfectly made for us. We shouldn't be asking, who is the helpmate that God created for me? What we should be asking is, who has God created me to be the helpmate of? You see, you need to ask yourself, who was I created to help? Because marriage is this relationship where God puts you together with someone else where you are to spend the rest of your life helping them be all that God wants them to be. And so Eve was this perfect helpmate for Adam. So God calls Adam to fall into this deep sleep, and he performed a one-time-only surgery. With loving care, God removed a bone from Adam's side, and, and he fashioned Eve. Now, it's significant that God took one of Adam's ribs. I believe he chose a rib because it was close to his heart, because God wanted him to cherish and, and love and protect Eve. And when Adam woke up from that surgery and saw Eve, he said, Whoa, man, woman, you were bone of my bone. You were flesh of my flesh. And it is here that God performed this first marriage ceremony. And it's important for you and I to hear what he told that first bride and groom because I believe God was laying the foundation of marriage. Listen to what God said. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, these words are so foundational that when Jesus was asked a question by the Pharisees of his day, this is what he said. He said, haven't you read? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined, let man not separate. And the Apostle Paul affirmed these truths in his letter to the church at Ephesus when he wrote, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, will be joined, united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. And so we see these words repeated throughout Scripture because it's given us the pattern, I believe, for a successful marriage. 
As we read that verse and we read those three phrases, we see three challenges that God gave to Adam and Eve when he performed that first marriage. And I'm convinced that if we today as husbands and wives will stand up and be willing to meet these challenges, then we will have the kind of marriage that God wants us to have. Now, the first thing that God told Adam and Eve was this. He said, make your spouse your priority. That's what he was saying in in verse 24 when he said, for this reason a man will leave his mother and father. And then the key word there is the word leave. The Hebrew word means to loose or to relinquish. The Greek word means to leave behind or forsake. Now, the Bible makes it clear that, that before we're married, our number one priority is to our parents. The Bible tells us that we are to honor our mother and father, and there's no age limit to that command. When we're living in their home, that honor includes obeying them, respecting them, because we live under their authority. But when we get married... We're still to honor them. We're still to respect them, but we're no longer under their authority. And now we have a relationship that is more important than that parental relationship. It's with our spouse. You see, once we're married, apart from God, our spouses now become our number one priority. That's how God designed marriage from the very beginning. When a couple marries... The husband's number one priority, apart from God, is to his wife. And the wife's number one priority, apart from God, is to her husband. But I want to go a little bit deeper in in trying to help you understand what that means. Now, we've all been taught, if you've grown up in church, we've been taught that jealousy is a sin, right? We're not to be jealous. The Bible says in Galatians 5 that jealousy is a work of the flesh. And yet the Bible teaches there is a godly jealousy. Did you know the Bible tells us that God is a jealous God? Did you know that? In Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, it says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, it says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. At least 20 times in the Bible, we are told of God's jealousy. So if God is a jealous God, then jealousy cannot always be sin. You see, because God loves us and he created us to love him before anything and anyone else, he becomes jealous when that relationship is threatened. So let me give you a definition of godly jealousy. Godly jealousy is the righteous emotion that causes us to want to protect what is rightfully ours. Let me say that again. Righteous jealousy, godly jealousy is that righteous emotion that causes us to want to protect what is rightfully ours. And let's apply this to marriage. Imagine you're walking down the street with your spouse, and someone comes up and starts flirting with your spouse. How would that make you feel? Would you get angry? 
Would you get violated? I would. Man, I'd want to punch him out. What are you doing flirting with my wife? That's righteous jealousy. And the Bible tells us that our spouse belongs to us before anyone and anything else other than God. You say, wait a minute, Rocky. Are you telling me that that I belong to my husband or I belong to my wife? No, I'm not telling you that. God's telling you that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, it says, A wife belongs to her husband instead of to herself. And a husband belongs to his wife instead of to himself. You see, God specifically speaks of our greatest priority before marriage when he speaks of our leaving our parents. He's telling us that once we married, our number one priority is now our Spouse, let me repeat, nothing should come before our spouse apart from God when we get married. If you want to avoid unnecessary problems, you must not allow anything or anyone other than God to take priority in your life. Now, the list of priority grabbers is endless. It could be your job, it could be your friends, it could be your hobbies, it could be your children. It could be the church. You see, there are good things that when they become a priority they should not be are now taken away from what God desires in your marriage. And I want you to listen. Unless your spouse is your number one priority apart from God, you will never have the marriage that God intends for you to have. Now, here's what I've learned. Most people desire that before they get married. And most people desire that when they're in that honeymoon stage. But then life begins to happen. Things get busy. Children are born. Our careers begin to take off. Stuff happens. And before long, we're working long hours and our children have things going on every day of the week. And and we find ourselves neglecting that person That's supposed to be the most important person in our life. And I'm here to tell you, when that happens, it's going to have a detrimental effect on your marriage. Now, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of hard work to make sure that your spouse is the most important person in your life apart from God. The most important thing in your life apart from God. But if you want a marriage that pleases God, that's what you have to do. And so I want to ask you, if you're married, are you willing to make your spouse your commitment today? Are you willing to say from this time on, my spouse is going to be my number one priority apart from God? So make your spouse your priority. The second challenge that God gave to that first couple is this. God said, don't think about leaving. That's what he said when he said to Adam, you're going to be united with your wife. Now, that Hebrew word for united, it has two meanings. The first meaning is to cling to, to hold to, to to stick with. The Greek word means to be glued together. When God says we are to be united with our wife, what he is saying is that marriage is a lifetime commitment that cannot be severed. 
Whenever I perform a marriage ceremony, I always use those words for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And the reason I use those words is that marriage is not just good things. Marriage is bad things. Bad things are going to happen while you are married to your spouse. And you're making a commitment to not just stick together, not just to be there for one another when things are good. You're making a commitment to be with them when your world is falling apart. Throughout God's Word, God makes it clear that when we get married, we're making a till death do us part commitment. Malachi chapter 2 puts it this way. It says, guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate Divorce, says the Lord. Did you get that? God hates divorce. Now, before Sherry and I got married, I pulled out my Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. You know what this is? And some of you don't recognize what this is because we don't even have them anymore. I mean, you look up, you know, your dictionary on your phone or your computer, but this is a dictionary. And so, uh, I had a dictionary just like this when I was in college and in graduate school. And, and so, when I told Sherry I wanted to marry her and spend the rest of my life with her, I pulled out my dictionary. And I turned to divorce in the dictionary. And with a felt-tip marker, I marked out the word divorce in front of her. And then I said to her, Sherry... I will never divorce you. You can hurt me. You can cheat on me. You can break my heart. But mark my word, before God today, I'm making a commitment to you. I will never leave you. And then I think I told her, if you leave, I'm leaving too. (laughs) You pack your bag, I'm packing mine. Now, now you say, Rocky, why did you do that? Well, the reason I did that is because I know that life's tough. And and I know that the unthinkable can happen. And I wanted her to know that I've thought this through and I've made a commitment that no matter what you do, I'm sticking with you. I can't stop you from divorcing me but I sure can stop me from divorcing you. And I made that commitment that I was going to be with her no matter what she did. She broke my heart. She let me down. No matter what it was, I wasn't going to leave her. And I want you to hear me. You can make that kind of commitment. Now, some of you are are probably saying, well, under what conditions can I leave my spouse? And, And can I say to you, why would you even ask that question? Why ask that question? Especially if you're not married. I mean, if you're here and you want to be married one day and you're thinking about marrying one day and you're thinking, okay, if it doesn't work out, what are the conditions which I can leave them? Don't get married. Because those things can happen. And here's what I've discovered. God can take the good, he can take the bad, and he can take the ugly. 
And he can use it all for his glory and his honor if you will just simply let him. So how can you continue to stick with your spouse in the good and the bad? Well, I believe that the only way is you have to pursue them daily. Remember I told you that word united has two meanings. The one meaning is to stick with, to, to stay with. The other meaning is to pursue. You see, when I get married to someone, I'm, I'm not only making a commitment to be permanent in this relationship, I'm making a commitment to pursue them in the relationship. Then you say, what does that mean? Well, if you're a hunter, there are two types of hunts. There's the kind of hunt where you sit in a stand or you get behind a bush and you wait for the prey to come to you. That's one type of hunting. The other type of hunting is where you pursue the prey. And that's what this word is talking about right here. Now, think about dating. When you first start dating someone that you really like, you want to make a good first impression, right? I mean, you want to dress in a way that they're going to go, whoa. You're going to want to take them to a place where they're going to go, wow. And you're going to want to so impress them where when you call them back, for the second date, they don't ignore your phone call. You want them to answer, right? And so you're doing things to impress them. Why? Because you're on the hunt. When you're on the hunt, sometimes you take up hobbies you don't like. Sometimes when you're on the hunt, you go places that you don't enjoy. Why do you do that? Because you're on the hunt. You're hunting. And the Bible says we're supposed to do that. Here's the problem. When we catch the prey, we get married, then we become lazy. We quit hunting. And the Bible teaches that you don't just pursue your spouse before you're married. You pursue, you pursue them every day of your marriage. You see, some people have this false idea that if you really love someone, you don't have to work at it. That's a lie from Satan. Marriages that are good marriages may be made in heaven, but they're worked out here on earth. And it takes a lot of work to have a good marriage. And so God told Adam and Eve, make your spouse your priority. God told Adam and Eve, don't think about leaving. And then third, God told Adam and Eve, never forget, you are one. God told them you will be one flesh. You see, before you marry, you are two independent people. You make your own decisions, you do your own thing, you go your own way. But when you marry, independence becomes interdependence. Two become one and becoming one is much more than sharing the same residence the same food the same children the same bed it's two people giving themselves to one another until their lives are woven together into one it's the blending of two lives in the deepest way possible back when I was a kid my family 
went on a trip to St. Louis with another family, the Reeves. And this was back in the, the late 60s, early 70s when, when crocheting was real popper, popular. Any of you know crocheting? Well, so Mrs. Reeves and my mom were crocheting on this trip. And I thought, that looks like fun. And so they taught me how to crochet. And you better not laugh because some of you need it for therapy. <laughs> but in crocheting, what you do is you take this yarn and you use this needle and you're, you're knitting together these different yarns into one fabric, one afghan, one blanket. And these different yarns are becoming one. You see, in much the same way, God takes our unique personalities, our unique abilities, our unique experiences, and he weaves us into one. But for that to happen, everything has to be thrown into the pot. Nothing can be held back. All things that are previously owned or managed individually are now owned and managed jointly. There are no exceptions and anything that is not mutually owned and managed can and most likely will lead to problems and divisions. Once we understand that and submit to that principle, we'll discover that our relationship soars to new heights. But if we insist on our independence, our personal rights, our privileges, we're never going to have the oneness that God intends for us. Now, a wonderful example of, of oneness in the Bible is the Trinity, the triune nature of God. God is three unique beings. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with unique characteristics, unique attributes, and even unique roles. And yet there's only one God. There's oneness, and yet there's diversity. And that's what God desires in our marriage. You see, oneness doesn't mean that we throw away our gifts, our abilities, our personalities. What it means is that God joins your unique personalities and gifts and abilities and experiences with your spouse and you become something even better than you were before. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9, it says two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. You see, God does more with two that become one than he can do with one that stays one. Not at times, as you're becoming one, you're going to experience enjoyable things. There are other times, as you're becoming one, that you're going to experience some painful, hurtful things. But what I've discovered is that God can use all of it to help you become one if you will only trust God and surrender to his plan. And that oneness, it permeates every single area of your life. Now, when we think about oneness, we most often think about physical oneness, and that is a big part of it. The Bible speaks much about physical oneness, but there's also emotional oneness. We mourn when those we love mourn. We rejoice when those who rejoice um, those we love rejoice. We become one financially. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. The list is endless. We become one in every single way. But let me say that's tough. It's tough. And the only way that that can happen 
The only way that we can experience oneness is to experience is to have selfless love. That's the only way. And the problem with that is we are by nature selfish people. Would you, would you agree? Are there times that you're selfish? Man, I am. You, you know what I've discovered about me? Even when I'm trying to be selfless, I'm selfish. I, I can sit back and I'm doing something for my wife and I realize that I've got selfish motivations and what I'm doing selflessly for her. We're selfish people. But if we want oneness, we have to die to self. That's so tough. Sometimes it's dangerous. I hear people say things like, what if they take advantage of me? It's a possibility. I mean, when you become vulnerable and, and your desire is to become one in a relationship, you can be taken advantage of. That's quite possible. That's why it's so important that you, that you include God in your relationships from the very beginning. Before you ever say, I do. Because you want to make as much as possible in your mind, this, this decision that this person isn't going to take advantage of me. This person loves me as much as I love them. That's what God wants. He wants you to build your family on him from the very beginning. In Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And that's true. I want to tell you something. We're going to go into it next week. So I'm just going to give you a little prelude that God really showed me for the very first time this, this past week. I don't know why this hadn't dawned on me because I've read these chapters hundreds, maybe thousands of times in my life. But it dawned on me this week that Satan is never mentioned until Adam and Eve were married. Satan's never mentioned. God creates everything, Satan's not mentioned. God creates man in his own image, Satan is not mentioned. God gives man a task, a job to do, Satan is not mentioned. God gives man a command, you cannot eat from the fruit of this tree. If you do, you'll die, Satan's not mentioned. God performs a marriage ceremony, Adam and Eve become one. And all of a sudden, Satan comes into the picture. Now, why is that? Some of you men are probably thinking, well, because Eve was a bad apple. No, that's not it. It's not it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You see, the thing is, is Satan realized that God was building his creation on the family. And if he could destroy the family... He could destroy God's creation. So from the very beginning, he attacked at the family level. We see that today. Marriage rates are down. More people are just choosing not to get married, to live together outside of marriage. The divorce rate has actually gone down, but 
Most people say the reason the divorce rate has gone down is because the marriage rate has gone down. It has nothing to do with people being more committed to marriage. As a matter of fact, statistic I read today from 2023 says that divorces for those who are 50 and older are up. It's crazy. You invest the time and the energy and the effort into it, and, and then as you get into your 50s, you, you give up. But that's the society we're living in. Why? Because our enemy attacks the family. Why do you think this transgender movement is gaining such traction? Because it redefines the family. Why do you think homosexuality has grown to the place it is today from where it was in the 60s and the 70s because it redefines family. And if Satan can destroy the family, he can destroy society. That's why it's so important that we who are the people of God who have been changed through the blood of Jesus is so important for us to make a commitment to have good, godly families that are honoring and pleasing to God because our society so desperately needs to see that. So this is what I'm asking you to do today. If you're married, I'm asking you to come to the altar with your, your spouse. Get on your knees before God and make a commitment today to renew yourself to one another and to God's plan for your marriage. Make a commitment today to make your spouse your first priority to not leave under any circumstances and, and work to become one. Let God make your marriage what he wants it to be. If you're here and you're not married, but one day you want to be married, I want to encourage you to come down to this altar and ask God for guidance and direction for who you'll marry. Because who you marry will make a big impact on how good your marriage is. So you need to be taking that to God saying, God, let me make wise decisions and listen to you. You may be here and you're a grandparent or a parent and you've got kids that are getting close to that age that they're about to get married and you don't have a spouse any longer. Well, you need to get here to this altar and pray for your kids and their marriages because they are under attack. And if we do not do something, our society is going to be lost as the family is lost. I want you to stand with me. And our pastors are going to be down front and we're available to pray with you and, and talk to you if that's what you want. But, but what I'm asking you to do is just come to this altar and give your marriage to God. Give your family to God, whatever your family looks like right now. Father God, this is your time. And I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name to have your way in each and every one of our families, beginning with mine. Father, I pray that that Sherry and I will model to our church family what marriage is supposed to be in the good and the bad, in the celebrations and the heartache. 
Father, I pray that our church will be a church that's built on strong families. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our altar is open. You come as we sing.